Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop. Today, we are catering to everybody's sweet tooth and talking about musket and Moscato. Yes, we will tell you all about the musket grape and the, uh, well, very, very briefly about the myriad of beverages that are made from it. Prepare your ear holes for the incoming sweetness. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. different types of musket grapes, though uh, the most commonly used is the musket blanc appetit grains, which is uh, used in the production of uh, many wines, including uh, Moscato di Asti in Italy, Claret de Dee, and Vin de Conscience in uh, South Africa and Spain. Mm. And uh, it, It's also the main grape used in the production of liqueur musket, the fortified wine coming out of Australia. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, well, it's the strain of uh, of wine used in everywhere in Australia. That's, yeah. That's the one. That, it was... That's the one. Petite grain musket. Yep, it was actually first uh, planted in Australia in the 1850s, making it one of the oldest varieties to be grown in Australia, Hmm. which um, is kind of fitting since it's also one of the oldest varieties to be cultivated in the world. In the world, yeah. It's incredible how old this grape is. Researchers and archaeologists believe that it came from the Persian word... uh, This is a challenge. Muchk? Mushk? Similar to uh, Moscos from Greece or uh, Muscus Latin or or Musk from France. Mm, And of course, all of them mean musk and refer to the flavor and scent of the wine being like musk. Mm. The uh, other theories suggest that the grape family originated in the Arabian country of Oman and was named after the city of Muscat, located on the coast of the Gulf of Oman. Mm. What we do know for sure is that uh, ampelographers say that the varietal was first propagated by Greeks and Romans during the period of classical antiquity from uh, 800 BC to 600 BC. So the that's the time when they began growing it on purpose. <laughs> I like that. They started growing it on purpose, which means that they were making Moscato or wine from the mus- musket grape on just whatever they could find. Like, oh, hey, this place is good for your wine grapes. Let's just hang around there and have a forage. Yeah, and then they <laughs> went, hey, let's let's actually plant and grow some of this stuff. Mm. And yeah, that it was that long ago like between 800 and 600 BC. So we're talking over 2,000 years ago. Yeah. And it's not... Like, that period of time wasn't... It wasn't common for particular varieties. It was just whatever grapes you could get your hands on, really. Between that 2,500 and 2,000, uh, you started... People started actually noticing the differences between the musket grapes and other wild grapes they found at the time. Yeah, after the Greeks and Romans started growing it to make wine, because, of course, the Greeks loved wine, the Romans loved wine. and Everyone loves wine. Yeah, everyone loves wine. <laughs> and then around that same time, the Romans introduced the musket variety to France. And, of course, the French love wine and began making a wide variety of wines from the grape. 
So the uh, musket blank appetit grains, which uh, you know is the most common, most commonly used one, is um, actually different than many grapes that are used to produce sweet wine because uh, it's the first grape of the season to be harvested usually, while most other sweet grape varietals are the last to be picked in a wine region. The late season grapes tend to be sweeter, having more sugar that's caramelized from being outside and in the sun or the uh they've started to become more like raisins because all the water has evaporated out of them or more water has evaporated out of them and therefore has a stronger concentration of natural sugars yeah but for some reason this grape is just stupidly sweet anyway and Mm. uh, if left too long i think the sweetness would probably be an overload or they may not even last long yeah well that could well be the case one thing that that despite the wide variety of types in all the different varietals the over 200 different varieties originating from the early day musket grape the parent grape if you will they do actually have one common trait that can be seen in almost all the varieties which is the sweet floral grapey musky aroma that is caused by the high concentration of monoterpenes in the grape and uh, this characteristic aroma can be most easily observed in the light-bodied low-alcohol wines like the Moscato Diasti or you know just your standard Moscato which um, have not had their bouquet heavily influenced by other winemaking techniques like oak aging or uh, fermentation or fortification. So how about we talk a little bit about the four different main varieties of musket grapes? Yes, because you got the the mus- musket blanc appetit grains. It's um that's your as you said the main variety all over the world. It's used in France. It's used in Italy. It's used in South Africa, Greece, Australia, Germany, Spain. You name it. It's probably cultivated there. The precise origins are not really known as. You know, Italy and Greece can really stake a claim to the first people. They both make compelling cases due to the proliferation of clones, mutations, and offspring. Um, But it's fantastic. It's most commonly used to make the dessert wines, the Moscato. And fortified musket and the like. Yeah, Yeah, it goes by many different names as well, but we'll get to that later. Uh, You've got Musket of Alexandria, which is a slightly hardier grape. It fares droughts much better than the other varieties. It's a natural crossing between the Musket Blanc Appetit grains and the Greek grape wine, Axina de Trebias, though its true origins are pretty hard to determine, apparently. Uh, Compared to the Petit grains, the Musket of Alexandria tends to produce larger, moderately loose clusters of large oval-shaped berries that are distinctive from the much smaller rounded berries of the main variety. The last two are the Musket of Hamburg, which, so most of the musket family are dark-skinned grapes, and most of the major varieties used in wine production are white or pale skin, pale, pale skin, pale skinned. But one of the exceptions is Musket of Hamburg, which is also known as Black Musket. It's a very dark-skinned grape believed to have originated in the Victorian greenhouses of England, where it was first described in 1858 as being propagated by Seward Snow, a gardener to 
Earl de Grey. He described this grape as a seedling that he created from crossing the Black Hamburg grape with the White Musket of Alexandria. And believe it or not, in 2003, the a DNA analysis confirmed that this was the case. So yeah, in 1858, we got a brand new variety of musket grape. Yeah, crossbreed hmm. black musket grape. Yeah. Uh, and the last one is musket Ottonel. Uh, it is a relatively recent addition to the musket family, being bred in the Loire Valley region of France in the 1850s. It's a cross between the Swiss wine grape Chasselas and Muscat de Einstadt, if I even pronounce that right. <laughs> uh, it has the most pale skin colour and tends to produce the most neutral wines and is the grape variety that ripens the earliest. Mm. I suppose while we're talking about variety, the flavours are all different, of course, but they but they all have a very... They all have the same similar scent. And uh, apparently it's that smell that we mentioned earlier that is mm. consistent amongst all of them that often causes people to become confused and sometimes mistake something that is not based on a musket grape for actually being a musket-based wine. I mean, obviously, if you're looking at the bottle, you know exactly what it is anyway. But yeah. if you've just got it in a glass and you're smelling it, <laughs> Uh, apparently, people uh, commonly, through scent alone, mistake uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Chasselet, and Muscadel as being from musket grapes. But they're nothing alike. Mm, but the scent <laughs> is very similar. I mean, if you taste it, you'd know straight away that it's not... Yeah. Well, it's, it wouldn't be sweet. Yeah, because most of them aren't sweet at all. But this is, yes, this Moscato we're drinking at the moment, the innocent bystander. It's, it's just sitting there on the table as we as we make this, as an innocent bystander would. Yeah, just hanging around. And it is... Getting quietly drunk. Mm, it is quite <laughs> pleasant. And I've, I've had Moscatos before, and I don't think it's the sweetest I've ever had, but it's definitely... Mm. They're not my preference because they're the least whiny wine. Yeah, they're full of sugar and... Believe it or not, Moscato is around the same strength as beer. Yeah, it's only uh, 5.5%. The particular bottle we're drinking... It's 5.5%. Mm, and 3.3 uh, standard drinks to the bottle in, in Australia. I know other countries don't do a standard drink thing, but here yeah. it's 3.3 it's in, in the entire bottle. 750ml bottle. Yeah, which admittedly makes it something good to have as an accompaniment for a meal or what have you. Yeah. Where you know you can drive afterwards. Yes. Uh, I don't... I still don't recommend drinking and driving, but... But I mean, we're not saying drink the entire bottle yourself in an hour and then drive somewhere, but you know, you can split the bottle between... Three people. Three people without any concern. Yeah, which is astounding. You can polish a bottle in a, a night and still... One of these bottles in a yeah. night and still potentially drive home. Yeah, because usually a wine has seven standards in the yeah. bottle. And you wouldn't drive home after and a you bottle of wine. <laughs> after that. Even <laughs> if you split it between three people over a one-hour meal, yeah. you wouldn't drive home after that, not straight away. You no. have to have dessert or something first. Absolutely. And we're not talking about a dessert wine either. No, we're not talking about <laughs> saying, oh yes, have, have some pudding in a fortified. Yeah. <laughs> and then drive home. But the, the Moscato's wines are always sweet. I haven't had a dry one yet. That's not to say there aren't mm. any, it's just that I haven't seen one. Uh, they tend to be a little bit bubbly, uh, not like full-strength fizz like a, a champagne or a other, or another sparkling wine, but there's definitely some carbonation to it. And I'm not sure whether that carbonation is due to the fermentation process or whether they add carbonation later, because mm. I do know of some cheap wines that add artificial carbonation 
to give it an extra fizz. Yeah, and I, I think I have actually seen sparkling Moscatos. Mm. I mean, there's sparkling varieties also. There's sparkling red wines. Yeah. Sparkling varieties of everything for some reason. <laughs> it makes you feel fancier when it's served bubbly. I mean, thank goodness no one's made a sparkling fortified. That would just... I do have a soda stream here. Let's not try that. I, th- <laughs> I think it would be sacrilege to, to do that to a fortified wine. Yeah, it wouldn't be right. But yeah, it it goes down really, really easily because there's nothing to it. Yeah, exactly. The The flavor profile is uh, interesting, to, to say the least, compared to your other sweet, more dessert wines like a Riesling, for example. Mm. It's a very different flavor. Yeah. It's just different sort of sweetness as well, though. It's very, yeah, it's not at all dry. It's, like, it's very sugary. And very sugary, yeah. It's more like drinking a... A soft drink rather than soft drink or a cordial rather than a wine. Or if you've had one of those uh, recorded ciders, those are ridiculously sweet. Mm, that it is, is somewhat reminiscent of one of the berry flavored recorded mm, Yeah, could very well be. But uh, also kind of reminiscent of what a creaming soda might taste like if you made it alcoholic. Slightly alcoholic. <laughs> Slightly. Mm. Yeah, very nice though. Very nice. I probably wouldn't want to drink this all the time because of the sheer amount of sugar in it but an an, an occasional treat yeah definitely because yeah. i mean all well i won't say all because that's very broad considering how many <laughs> there are but the vast majority of wines based on the musket grape are dessert wines yes they are sweet wines they're either a dessert or a fortified usually well speaking of fortifieds let's get stuck into talking about musket Yes. We have a bottle of that sitting in front of us too. And that this particular one has won a bunch of awards. Even though they're about 10 years old, these awards, I'm hoping it's still really good. Yes, I mean, it's won the uh, 2007 Decanter World Wine Awards, Best Wine in Class. It won the Best Fortified, also at the 2007 Decanter Wine Awards. And uh, the Wine of the Year trophy at the 2005 Victorian Federation Square Wine Awards. The Fortified's Gold Medal at the 2006 Victoria Federation Square Wine Awards. The Fortified's Gold Medal at the 2007 Decanter World Wine Awards. And the Fortified's Gold Medal at the 2007... They've listed that twice. Of course they have. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Fortified's Gold Medal at the 2005 Victorian Federation Square Wine Awards. They've listed that one twice as well. (laughs) That's a different year. Okay, so they've won it in 2005, 2006, and 2007. Right. And they also won the silver at 2010 at the International Wine Challenge for Mm. Fortified's. So, what is it? And this is the Buller Wines Fine Old Musket. It is from the Rutherglen Wine Region in Victoria. It is from the Rutherglen Wine Region in Victoria. So I will use that as a segue to talk about the Rutherglen Wine Region in Victoria. (laughs) Because the majority of musket-based wines in Australia come from that region. Largely, that's because the uh, hot, dry summers and autumns are ideal for the sugar accumulation that is integral in producing quality dessert wines. And uh, Rutherglen muskets are made from the musket de petite grains Rogue, a variety from Greece that's uh, also used heavily in the Rhone Valley in France. And uh, after the uh, Rutherglen musket vines survived the Phylloxera outbreak in the 1890s, the demand for Rutherglen fortifieds uh, remained strong in Australia and Britain. So the result was that 
to, from the vines being so resilient was that many wineries and vineyards that were established in the 19th century in Australia are still in production and uh, as such have uh, very large stores of old oak casks that they keep in iron sheds hmm. and uh, it turns out the extreme heat in those iron sheds encourages the evaporation and oxidization that gives Rutherglen fortified wines uh, great intensity and complexity. And uh, apparently, fortified wines with a similar flavor profile also come out of the nearby Glen Rowan region. And uh, vintage fortifieds from either region are apparently considered by many to be on par with uh, any port or tawny. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's in. I mean, it's in. It's in the same section along with uh, Tokay and Sherry. I have heard a lot about Tokay, and it is also fantastic. Another fortified wine. So, Mickles mm. having a taste of this musket for the first time. Have you had musket before? I have not had musket before. Mm. And so, I mean, obviously the uh, the nose is very reminiscent of a port. Yeah. But the flavor, I'm not really sure. I mean, the aftertaste is also reminiscent of a port. I'm going to have to have some more of it <laughs> and kind of leave it on my palate for slightly longer mm. so I can get a... A better feel for the taste profile. Well, we perhaps need a palate cleanser between the two drinks. That might help with uh, with tasting. What do you reckon? Mm, well, there's a definite, almost a, a tang to it mm. that I wouldn't expect from, from a fortified. It's very sweet, but it's, it's hitting a different part of my taste buds to what a port would hit. Interesting. So mm. we've, we've had a few fortifieds now. How does it compare with port or sherry or vermouth? Mm. I'm I'm definitely putting it up there with the port, like in the in the flavour. It would definitely be a, a good accompaniment for uh, a nice pudding or some other you know hot sweet dessert. Yeah, it's I've just had a taste, and yeah, it's a lot like port, but it doesn't have that uh, syrupy flavour that a lot of port does. Yeah, it, it's almost like it's just sweet there's no because port and i think there's usually that's what's the difference i think tannins there's no tannins yeah yeah port usually has some tannins that little bit of extra fleshiness to it that you feel in your mouth and yeah but this is super smooth yeah insanely so yeah it would go very well with christmas cake yeah it's christmas cake or a nice pudding something fruity yeah definitely uh, something a different kind of sweet to to what this is hmm. it's very nice very, very nice. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's quite as complex as port, perhaps. Mm, yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's the same as a Moscato. It has a much simpler taste profile than other wines. But if you're not someone who's looking for something complex, mm. then it's probably the perfect dessert wine and perfect fortified mm. to go with because it's it's simpler. Yeah, and it, it's got the same amount of alcohol is poured it's 18 percent or 10.7 standard drinks in a bottle so you'll get very drunk on one of these yeah so it's, it's still a fortified wine yeah it's a proper fortified wine it's but usually there's a there's a bit of a burn to it from the the brandy yeah so toke is a i guess a lesser known sibling to to musket a similar drink to musket but it's not not as well known and made with a, made with a different grape variety. Oh, right. Yeah. But in a, in a similar way, obviously, mm. and still a sweet fortified. Yeah. It should be very nice when I go and get myself a bottle because I'm curious now. So it's, is it still made with the musket grape? No, it I believe not. So liqueur musket or musket or uh, Rutherglen musket or fine old musket. 
it's all made with a it's all made with musket grapes. Uh, they it starts out by a starts out being a late harvest wine with the grapes allowed to stay on the vine till they are in a partially raisin state. Then they are pressed to go through a partial fermentation, and then they add neutral grape spirits to stop the fermentation process, and then they age it in oak barrels in a system very similar to a Solera, like they make sherry. Oh. And being in Australia, sometimes it gets exposed to quite high temperatures, and that gives it its unique flavour. It's lacking, though. I'm waiting for more complexity, but this... There's nothing yeah. there. I mean, I suppose <laughs> we, we haven't tried the uh, fortified muskets from other places, and potentially if we did, we would see a difference, hmm. but it I is, suppose. It is definitely cut from the same tree with the musket and Moscato. Oh, yeah. You can certainly get a, a similarity in the flavor profile, mm. despite big differences. I mean, if you like Moscato, you'll like musket. Yeah, I feel like it's hitting the same spots on my taste buds that, that the Moscato is hitting. Yeah. It's got that same sugary. Yeah, it's it's just hitting them taste. in a more intense sort of way. Hmm. I probably won't get another bottle of that. It's nice, but it's mostly just sugar. Yeah, it's it's very sweet. Though I do notice that because uh, we were thinking of an accompaniment for sweet things, hmm. but I noticed that on the label for this fine old musket, they suggest that it's ideal to accompany soft cheeses. And yeah, I could see that as well, because often a, a good soft cheese will have a sweet fruit in it. And so instead of getting, like, an apricot cheese or something, you get... Get a brie. A brie and camembert and have it with this. Yeah, okay. Hmm. As, as an accompaniment of something... Like you'd get a quince paste. You know what quince paste is? I don't. Quinces are, like, wild apricots. Okay. And okay. quince paste is like a... Uh, a really thick uh, apricot jam. Right. Hmm. And yeah, that, that accompaniment of sweet and savoury always works quite well if you yeah. can get the balances right. So yeah, I could see I could see this working well with cheeses. Well, we've got a whole bottle to, to get through, so yes. I guess we're having a wine and cheese night. Mm, guess so. <laughs> and now we have to try and get this cork back on the bottle because I can't drink the rest of this Moscato tonight. It's too much. So. Yes, that's going to be tricky. It's the same sort of cork that uh, comes on a sparkling white. You, you can tell I didn't think this through very well. <laughs> yeah, mm. I haven't got anything else. Uh, neither do I, so let's go through the plugs. Uh, well, how many bottle caps would you rate this Moscato, Mickle? Oh, so the Moscato, well, let's... Uh, I'm going to give it cork, so I'm going to give it... Uh, <laughs> I think I'd give it, uh, as Moscatos go, against yeah. other Moscatos I've had, mm. I'll probably, I'll probably give it... Uh, oh, Eight out of ten corks against other Moscatos I've had? Yep. That's against other Moscatos. So against you... other... Not not against everything. I'm not going to put it in the same ballpark as other wines. Because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a very it's... unwine wine. Yeah. it. If I was going to rate it along everything else I've had, I would give it probably a five or a six, five and a half to six because it's just mm. sweet and boring. Yeah. I mean, it's If you know someone who doesn't drink wine... They and will... you want to slowly introduce them to wine, this is a gateway wine. <laughs> gateway start, wine. <laughs> start them on a Moscato, <laughs> then bring them over to Riesling and slowly ease them into the So get an innocent bystander and then give them a Monsters, Monsters attack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think we're turn, turning this into a bit of a story. 
Mm, and then, so, yeah. and then a uh, maybe a Tempranillo, oh, or would that I think be? You got to ease the way through the wines first, I think. Uh, a Chardonnay, then. A Chardonnay, yes, yeah, possibly a Chardonnay, or, a, or maybe a Semi Sauv Blanc. Mm. I don't know any funny named Semi Sauv Blancs yet. No, well, I know Boy Meets Girl make one. There so you go. yeah, you, Boy you get girl. a listed bystander, give them a monster's monster's attack, then Boy Meets Girl. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's a story. Sounds sounds like the plot of a horror movie. Yeah, but uh, certainly that's that's a way to get people introduced to wine. Once they make their way along the whites towards the drier end, then you can start mm. introducing them to the sweeter reds. Yeah, that's a good good way to go. It. Yeah, in terms of sweet things, it's not bad. I'd give it a eight for sweet. Yeah. Yeah, in, in the sweets, yes. Compared to other wines, I just I prefer something that has full body, complex flavors, and on the wine scale, yeah, this doesn't do it for me. And I, yeah. I would also give it about a six mm. on the scale of wines. Yeah, and the musket, I was actually a little disappointed because I was expecting a little more complexity. So I, yeah, I'd give it a four and a half to five, my lowest rating yet. Oh well, <laughs> yeah, I I wouldn't rate it quite that low. I mean, I'd like to try it. With because some things just don't work well to drink by themselves, and they need to accompany something else. Yeah, I'd I'd like to try it as an accompaniment for something that isn't sweet to see if it works better that way. So I'd I'd be leaning more towards giving it a, a six to seven, maybe so six and a half. I'll I'll say a six and a half bottle caps for the for the musket. Hmm. I mean, it's nice. It goes down easily, so I'll give it that. But it just lacks in complexity and new nuance. Yeah, so for for something that's enjoyable to drink, it's not an experience, but it's mm. enjoyable to to drink. If if that's all you're looking for, if you just want a, something sweet to yeah, a sweet tipple, that's perfect. Yeah, exactly. We're not going to tell you not to have it. Every every drink has someone who that is the perfect drink for. Yeah, or there'd be no one buying it. Yeah, exactly. And, no, and then no one selling it. So be sure to tune in next time when we're talking about food pairings. Getting to get some tasty food into this podcast about alcohol. <laughs> mm, alcohol and food. Mm, it's a good mix when you get it right. What's a what's a bad food pairing? Have you had a bad food pairing before? Food and alcohol pairing? Oh, I could think of some that would probably be pretty awful. I mean, uh, port and steak would probably not go well together. Don't do that, guys. We'll tell you what to pair next time. So stay tuned for next week. And uh, as always, tell your friends about us. Uh, spread the spread the news, share the love. If you like what you heard, send us an email to a good drop at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, a good drop podcast. You can find us on uh, iTunes, of course, as a good drop all about alcohol. Hmm. Uh, find us on your favorite podcast app. Should be there as a good drop all about alcohol. And of course, we're at a good and we're on Podbean. Yeah, give us a, a nice rating on iTunes. Hit that five-star button. Yeah, and uh, follow us because we like followers. We like to know that people are listening regularly. Yeah. Uh, and if you've got any suggestions or comments or corrections, let us know. And we'll give you a shout-out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.